Welcome to the Eastside Church Podcast. We're a community-driven church based in Charlotte, North Carolina, and invite you to join us on Sundays at 9 or 11 a.m. For more information, visit our website, eastsidechurch.co. Good morning. How is everybody today? Good? You better say yes after that. That's pretty amazing. If you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. I kind of started on it a little bit or had it included in our uh, Wednesday night teaching, but I wanted to go back to it today. I'm going to kind of finish that whole chapter and talk a little bit about marriage. We're going on a men's retreat. We're going on the men's retreat um, uh, Thursday. Most of us are going Thursday. And... um, It's going to be an incredible time. And so as we go, as we go into that, one of the things I wanted to do is make sure that we're focusing on families and that we're talking to husbands, we're talking to wives, we're talking to future husbands and future wives about our posture and what God had intended to do. So I'm going to go through Ephesians here where it talks about husbands and wives. I don't know if we've taught much on that here over the years, but I think we're in a position to really take marriages to a whole nother level. So I'm incredibly excited about what the Lord's going to teach us. I'm going to do something really weird today. I'm going to preach out of the Bible. And so and so if you're not accustomed to that, then we're, we're in trouble. I'm going to do a word-for-word, verse-by-verse kind of teaching out of the Bible instead of a topical kind of thing. But um, Ed's not in here uh, but I was just thinking, uh, um, just thinking about, um, golly, man, it just goes bam. Your brother Rusty uh, went to see the Lord uh, just two days ago, right? No, yesterday. yesterday. Was it yesterday? Yeah, he, beat us all there. he beat us there. We're singing that song just a minute ago. I was just thinking about the bride coming to the, to the bridegroom and uh, coming into the presence of the Lord. And that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about how Jesus intended marriages to be. So I'm going to start with actually Ephesians chapter 4 to set all this stuff up. I'm going to have to just go there first so that you can get a grip of what, what Paul is trying to write when he writes to the church at Ephesus. Let's start with verse 20 in chapter 4 just to set up chapter 5. It says, but you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you've heard, of, heard him and have been taught by him as the truth in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in your spirit, in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which was created according to God, for righteousness and holiness. When, when Paul begins to write this, and as we begin to go in mar- into what marriage looks like, he sets all this stuff up as he, he has identified how he wants the church to operate. He's identifying how he wants relationships to operate. And through that, as he begins to talk about that, he, he then in, brings marriages into it. 
That's what I want you to see about this passage of Scripture. It's not just he talks about marriage and it's singled out, and we do that in the Bible because it has this little topic line right here on the top, and so we, we pull it out of there instead of just including it in everything Paul is dealing with. And Paul is dealing with uh, the church, and he's dealing with how we're to respond, and he's dealing with how we are to put off the old man and be transformed, how we are to think different than the world. That, that we're to think as Jesus thinks, that we're to respond as Jesus would respond. We, we're to be transformed. I see everybody fanning. No. Okay. Some, how many say yes? How many say no? What am I to do with that? Sure, church, Lord. Well, just for you at the top that are burning up, it says 69 right here on the front. So, <laughs> so anyhow, you got to understand that he's talking about our behavior as believers. So let's now move to verse 30. In your behavior as a believer, verse 30 says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And so there is a there is a possibility to grieve the Holy Spirit. I was motivated to teach today on this by a thing that Richard and Alan and I went to Thursday night. And it was really this understanding of who we are in Christ and what Jesus did for you and me. And it really tells the story again of John the Baptist being in the river and, and Jesus walking by. And, and what happened in that story is John is baptizing, and then he sees Jesus coming toward him. And then he says this, if y'all remember with me, in Matthew is where this account is taken from. He says, look, here comes the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so he, Jesus uh, says, baptize me. And John says, I'm, I'm not worthy to baptize you. You need to be baptized of me. And Jesus and all, we need to do this because it's the right thing to do. It, it fulfills righteousness. And John said, okay, if that's what you want me to do, I'll do it. So he baptizes him. He comes up out of the water, and the Holy Spirit fills Jesus. Jesus is baptized in the Holy Spirit. It's an interesting thought that God is filled with God. And so there's a, there's a, there's a, a teaching there that I'm not going to really talk about much, but you need to really dig into that because it's important as a as a believer. But then what happens is amazing. There's a voice that comes over Jesus that John heard and everybody else heard says, this is my beloved son, my honored son, who I am well pleased. And the message from the Lord this morning is that you need to gather in your heart and in your mind that Jesus' mission was to stand in the gap for you, so that when he did, that the Lord's thoughts toward you would be, this is my beloved son and daughter who I am well pleased. This is my beloved. You are it. You're the beloved of God. And some of you need to hear this morning that he's well pleased with you. He's well pleased. Because your sins, he doesn't see. 
you have to pay a penalty for them. You might bear the fruit of your sins. You might bear the blunt of your sins. But as far as the Father is concerned, He doesn't hold them against you anymore. You're the beloved. You need to pursue righteousness and quit sinning because God hates the fact that you have to deal with the consequences of your stupid decisions. All right? But he didn't hold it against you. You're the beloved. You're, you're the son and daughter of God who he is well pleased. And when you take that and see how he starts Ephesians chapter 5, you, you kind of go, wow. It opens up. Because Paul writes to the church, he says, Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. He's telling you and me to be imitators of God, to love like Jesus, to give ourselves to God as a sacrifice to God as an act of worship. What does that remind you of? Does it remind anybody of Romans chapter 12? If you've got your Bible, flip over to Romans chapter 12. Paul writes to the church again in a different place. He says, I beseech you. That word beseech means I beg you. I beg you, therefore, brethren, people of East Side, those who have a, a relationship with Jesus, by the mercies of God, that you would present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. It's your reasonable service. We are to be imitators of God. We are to present ourselves to God. We are to walk like Jesus. In the New Testament, there was a name for that, and it was called Little Christs. You're a little Christ. It's where Christians come from. It comes from that little Christ. So let's continue to read. Verse 3. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be even named among you because it doesn't belong in the church. Neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor coarse jesting, which are, are, are not fitting. But instead of all that stuff, give thanks. Man, I just think that is, I mean, doesn't that seem weird to you? I don't know about, I don't know about you guys, but for me, that seems kind of weird. It says, I don't want you to be a fornicator. I mean, it's some pretty nasty stuff that he lists, right? And then he says, instead of doing all this mess, <laughs> give thanks. <laughs> for what? You give thanks that God did everything necessary for you to be the beloved of God and for you to be an imitator of Christ. 
you have the possibility of being successful in your Christian walk. You do not have to fail. You can be successful. You can be transformed. You can have victory. God came. Jesus came. John 10.10 says, we, we quote it all the time. He didn't come to kill, steal, or destroy. He came so that you could have life to the full. If you're looking to be satisfied in your life, the only way that you can be satisfied and have the fullness that is intended for you is through Christ Jesus, is to be an imitator of God, to respond to life as God would respond. That's how you're going to live the abundant life. And so as he begins to point that out, then he begins to begin to talk to us a little bit in just a moment about relationship. Verse 5 says, For this you know, that no fornicator or unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater, has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ or God. That's a pretty bold statement, is it not? A fornicator is someone who has marriage outside, who is a habitual person who continues to have sex outside of marriage. That's a fornicator. If you have a lifestyle of that, I'm not, it's not my opinion. I'm reading it out of the Word. That's why I'm reading it straight out of the book today. Because I don't want you to hear a preacher's opinion. I will not say I believe about this message. Because it's important that you understand that it's not my standard, that it's the Lord's standard. Amen. This is the Lord speaking. And, and I hopefully we'll understand by the end of the day that he's bringing this message this way so that you can have abundance, so that you can have victory, so that you can have the fullness of what God intended us to live as people of this planet while we're on this earth. And he's saying to us that somebody who covets has a lifestyle of covetousness or puts things before God on a continuous basis or fornicates or has sexual impurity will not enter the kingdom. So he says, Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. There is a society that's trying to convince you that this stuff is not true. And he's saying right here in verse 6, Don't be deceived, church. This is a message from God. Do not be deceived in the way the world is thinking and trying to convince you to think. It's important that you gather it because nobody who thinks this way or is established on this way of thinking will enter the kingdom of God. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. One place in Scripture says, not only don't do it, but don't wink at those who do. Okay? Everybody with me? Verse 8, for you were once darkness. And I want you to understand, we see this, and we talked about it Wednesday night. You were once darkness. It doesn't say you were in darkness. It says you once were darkness. In other words, you were a representative of darkness and not a representative of light. But now you are light in the Lord. So therefore, walk as children of light. Again, we're talking about behavior. 
For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth. And so on Wednesday night, we talked in Galatians 5, it lists, it lists nine fruit of the Spirit. And here it lists three particular ones. But what we talked about is it's still a singular word that the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, has all these fruit that's necessary for you. You do not have to pray for patience. Matter of fact, on Wednesday night, I told our people, please never ever hear your pastor say, I'm praying for more patience. What you need to be saying is I'm praying to be filled with the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit has all the patience you'll ever need. And if you'll not walk in the flesh but walk in the Spirit, you will not bear the fruit of impatience or lack of self-control. Or gruffness, which is opposite of gentleness and tenderness and those kind of things. I mean, we're all in process. Would you agree? Yeah. And so what, what Jesus is saying right here is that the, the fruit of the Spirit looks different than the fruit of the world, of walking in the world in the way the world thinks, and don't be deceived. So we need to walk as children of light finding out what is acceptable to the Lord, and then doing that, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather we would be what exposes them. And so if we are walking in the things of darkness, if we don't have those fruit that comes from being filled with the Holy Spirit, then we're going to grieve the Holy Spirit. That's how you grieve the Holy Spirit. So if you feel this in your, in your being, if you feel like, ugh, you know, you got this pit in your stomach, it just might be that you've grieved the Holy Spirit with your actions, with the way you think, with what you're saying or what you're doing. Your attitude might grieve the Holy Spirit. And so then it goes on in verse 11. It says, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them, for it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done in secret by people. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light, by, by doing the right thing, by doing the ways of God, it exposes when it's not done right. For whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore, he says, awake you who sleep, arise from the dead, church, and Christ will give you light. He will shine light on things that are contrary to him. And so then Paul begins to write to the church and talks about us to, to begin to walk in wisdom. Verse 15, see then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. This is a beautiful piece of scripture. Let me just go over that one more time. See then that you walk like you're supposed to, circumspectly. As a, as a child of God, make sure that your attitudes and what you say out of what comes out of your mouth and the attitudes you have, that the joy of the Lord is, a, a, you know, is evident in your life. It's a fruit of the Spirit. Make sure those things are coming out, but not as, not as fools, but as wise. So what, what he is identifying as wise is a person who knows the Word of God, who hears the Word of God, and then begins to respond to it. Does that make sense? 
So therefore do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine in which is this, this dissipation, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Again, there's a but there. We talked about this a little bit on Wednesday night, that, that obviously that the Spirit of God, when it comes upon you, are able to do the same thing that people look to drunkenness to do. So sometimes, drunken, what drunkenness does is it numbs the pain. It, make, it makes the hurt go away. Pe- people do that all the time. They, they drink to the point of excess so, so that it numbs the pain or it, it, or it, it, it allows them to, to do something that they wouldn't normally do. It takes away, it makes you uninhibited. And the Lord says, don't, don't, don't look to that, look to me, and I'll, I'll make you uninhibited, but that uninhibitedness will be towards me and not towards the things of the world. Be filled with the Spirit and respond that way. Then he says that we should speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in our heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus submitting to one another in the fear of God. There's so much in these scriptures. This is a lot to cover. But I, I, I want to cover it because I'm going to get to the meat of the message. This is just setting up what I want you to see, that he is trying to change your behavior. He's trying to get us to see that we're supposed to, to not look like the rest of the world. But when he's saying here, Michael, I'm just going to go over this real quick because it's really good stuff. It doesn't have anything to do with anything. It's just good. A psalm is actually singing the word of God. And so he's saying, I love the, be filled with the Spirit. And when you're filled with the Spirit, you're going to sing the word of God. Do y'all hear me? Church, do you hear me? We are to know the word of God enough that we're singing it. In, in, in psalms and, and hymns are, are, are things that we kind of are doing now. A hymn uh, really is singing about the works of God. And a spiritual song is either in, in, in tongues or just a spontaneous singing to the Lord. And so what he's saying here is, as the church, this should be our behavior. This is how we should... This is how we should deal with each other. Now, I just want to ask you a question. I mean, just real quick. You see many churches doing this? Now, for me, when you really start preaching this and preaching it with boldness, I don't think this was written by God through Paul as a suggestion. He's writing this and saying, this should be the witness of the church. If, if it would become the witness of the church, then maybe we wouldn't be in the mess we're in. If the church would wake up, all you who's sleeping. Right? Is that the truth? It is the truth. So, he says, give thanks for all things to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Now, here's where we start really meddling. Because we worship, I mean, we, uh, we have mentioned the S word. 
we have uh, mentioned submit. If I've ever seen a culture in my 56 years, this culture hates to submit. And there's a command in God's word that we as believers should submit to one another. Justin Clark has just started working here at the church just just a few days a week, just uh, doing some maintenance and janitorial stuff and that kind of thing. And and I told him the other day in the staff meeting, I said, listen, man, I said, you're, you're the maintenance guy. We're going to submit to you. And he was like, oh, no, man, you're in authority. I said, yes, I am, but we're going to submit to you because you're the maintenance guy. And the way you want it done, that's the way we want to do it. Because we are told, we are, we are commanded in Scripture to submit to one another. There's not one dude in charge. There's an authority. But we are to submit. To, he's got skill. I don't know if you know this or not, but besides the drums, the boy's got skill. Uh, he is a one organized unit. He is over the stinking top organized. And so why would I want him to s- submit to my unorganization? That doesn't make any sense whatsoever, does it? And the Lord is saying here that we've got to submit one another. And that, that word means that we are subordinate, that, that we are obedient, that we're submissive, that we're subservient, that we're subjective to them, to one another. And that should be our lifestyle. Now, the reason I bring this up is because we're start about to go into husbands and wives. But what the Lord is doing is he's saying there's a whole lifestyle shift. There's this whole shift in the paradigm shift in the way you're thinking that I've got to get across to you so that you can receive what I'm about to tell you. And so then he sets that up as that's the way that the attitude of the whole church should be, that you should be submit to one another in the fear of God. Because you are reverencing, because you are uh, trying to line up with the ways of God. That's what that word means. That's the attitude in which it's written. And so then he goes into verse 22, which, all, you know, there's so many people that have this, this, this verse marked out or cut out of their Bible. Let me get anybody got a black pen? Anybody got a sharpie? I can cover that up. <laughs> Wives, submit to your own husbands. So, somebody uh, circle if you're married. Circle own husbands, as to the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church, and He is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Now, what we oftentimes do, or way it's been presented so many times, is that this is a negative thing. And this is incredibly opposite of being negative. First of all, ladies... Just want to make it real clear, and the reason I had them circled on husbands is because you're no more subservient to any other man than we are the body of Christ. I mean, that's why I believe that Paul set that up the way he did, is to let us know that we as human beings, I am to submit 
to the females as much as I am the males in the body of Christ. I submit to Cheryl Sharp, and I certainly submit to Anna. <laughs> I'll be beating the submission if I don't do that. And I, and I submit to my wife as part of the body of Christ. He sets that standard up first, and then he says that to the wives. And he says this. It's so important to get it. He says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Now, get this. Try to get saved without Jesus. Try to get in right relationship with the Father without the Son. Try to honor and glorify God without Jesus. You can't do it. But with Jesus, he says about you and me, here is my beloved son and daughter who I am well pleased. Here's the one I love. Here's the one that is mine. And I'm just... It just, it just makes me just happy <laughs> to see them and to be with them. And so Jesus is head of the church. How is he head? He's head because he's the son of God, because he came to earth. He, meant, he, did, God, he did what God had called him to do. He paid the price so that we could be little Christ's. He restored and redeemed a faulty relationship. In, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 18, you can see that, that because of the fall, it is prophesied that, that the wife would want to lord over the husband. And what you see here is God redeeming that whole thing. Let me continue, and then I'll get back to something else. So he says, husbands, love your wives. This is 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that it might sanctify and cleanse her. If you got this, guys, you really need to write this down. You need this underlined. You need everything about it. Guys, if you're not married, you need to be thinking about this is who you need to be. The reason you might not be married is because you're not doing this yet. God wants you to be doing this before he brings that good woman to you or that good man. Husband loves your wife just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word, that he might present to her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Now listen to me. There's none of us who have ever done this right, including me. When I started thinking about what the Lord wanted me to teach, I was going, oh, my goodness. Because it's this place of honor. It's this place of laying down your life. It's this, it's this abundant love that comes up under. He says, I'm going to die for you. 
I'm going to value what you value more than I value what I value. I, I want to honor you. I want to love you. I want to serve you. That's what Jesus did to the church. Why? This is the important part. So that, so that we, it would be redeemed, so that it would be without spot or blemish, so that it would be glorious, that there would be a glorious church, so that it would shine, so that it would live in abundance, so that it would be full, lacking nothing, so that it could have everything that God intended. Listen, guys. If we don't love our wives like Jesus loved the church, where he left the throne, where he could have called down 10,000 legions of angels and saved himself, but he did not do it. He died on the cross for the sins of the world so the church could be the church. So that we could flourish. Your wife cannot flourish unless you love her like Christ loved the church. It's a heavy responsibility. Unless you lay down your life for her like Jesus did, she can't blossom. She can't bloom. She can't flourish. She can't live in fullness. That's why you have to love her like Christ. He's setting all this up saying, this is the kingdom. This is kingdom. Women, you were taken originally out of the side of man. You were taken out of the rib. You were pulled off the man and, and you have to be connected back. You have to cleave to the man and you have to honor your husband. God made us that way. God made men where they need honor and, you, and he says you have to leave your mother and father and cleave to your wife and your husband, you become one flesh, you become one. And in that oneness, this half needs honor and this half needs love and cherishing. And to do that, you both flourish. And it has to be a commitment to the works and the ways of God. It has to be done by the Holy Spirit. You cannot make a decision to be a great husband and succeed. You can't make a decision to be a great wife and succeed. But what you can do is say this, I'm committed to the ways of Jesus. And I know unless he goes with me, I have no possibility of being the husband or the wife that he intended me to be. The only way that I can be what he wants me to be is to be filled with the Holy Spirit, is to recognize when I grieve the Holy Spirit. When I'm treating my husband or wife in a way that's contrary to the ways of God, I'm grieving the Holy Spirit, and I'm not going to be successful. So that word submit, now let's think of it, ladies, Sub subordinate, submissive, subservient, subjection. That has such negative connotation. In our, I mean, we, I can feel it in a room. But it's not that way. Watch. Watch. Jesus said, I don't do anything unless I see the Father doing it. I don't say anything unless I hear the Father saying it. I don't, I don't respond in any way 
unless it's the nature and the character of God. What is Jesus doing? He is submitting to the Father. Is he less God? No. He's all God. Jesus said this about the Holy Spirit. It's important that I go away because if I don't go away, I can't send the Holy Spirit. And if I don't send the Holy Spirit, you won't know the truth about what God says and who God is because that's the Holy Spirit's job. And so what is the Holy Spirit's job is to reveal everything Jesus said. What's the Holy Spirit doing? Submitting to Jesus. It is the nature and the character of the Godhead. And it's also the nature and character of the church. We're the bride of Christ. We're going to become one flesh. Do you think he did that accidentally? Do you think he's making this comparison without knowing that that's the comparison he's making? He's saying to you and me that we're going to be one with Jesus. We are the bride of Christ. We sang about it today. We're going to be caught up in the glory and his bride. There's a party. He sets a table. There's a wedding feast. He invites us to come. He says, come. Do this marriage thing the way I want you to do it. Husbands, love your wives as your own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh but nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. We're supposed to cherish our wives, guys, as Jesus cherishes the church. An absence of selfishness. We are, for we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his mother and father, and they shall be joined together as one flesh. And then he says, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. It's just kingdom. Let me just... tell you the deception. I want to tell you the root of the deception. And you can buy into it or you can stand fast. That's up to you. I'm just reading the word. But when it comes to this idea of submitting to a husband, if you, if that, pull, if that, ladies, if that goes, if you push back from that, because that seems in our culture to be the hardest part. Let me tell you what the Lord has revealed to me, and I am positive of that very thing, that the foundation of that rebellion is built on the idea that you, are, that you don't have to do that, that that's not something that it's, it's, you know, it's equal, which it is, but there's this twisting of the truth of the Word of God to just a tilt, and it's built on the idea that we all came from a gob of goo. That there was no image, that there was no, there was no pattern, that there was no creation, 
that there really is no God. And so why should we? That's where the idea comes from. And what God is saying in Ephesians, if you want to line up with kingdom, you've got to do this. And if you'll do it this way, you'll have the same kind of success as the Son had when He was submissive to the Father, as the Holy Spirit has when He reveals the truth about who Jesus is in your marriages, in your families, in your home environment. You can be that successful. You can have abundance. But the only way to have that abundance is to agree with the kingdom and not fight it. Do not be deceived. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. This is the truth of the Word of God. And our culture and our time pushes back from this. And most people aren't preaching it this hard, and I don't know why. I don't know why I've never done it. I apologize. But here's the truth. If you want your wife, to shine, love her as Christ loved the church. Lay down your life for her. Make her as important as your value system. And I want to tell you, guys, for most of us, that's much harder than our women submitting. I'll just be honest. I think women were, love great leadership. I think they're starving for good leadership. I think they're starving for a husband who loves God and is willing to do anything to obey him. So I think it's harder for us to be selfless and love our wives like Christ loved the church, to lay our lives down, to surrender and submit to their wishes, their desires, their vision, their goals. And what Jesus is saying with this is, I'm telling you this because this is the pathway to the fullness of life. This is the pathway to abundance. Are you lacking abundance? Are your family dynamics or home dynamics, are they struggling? It just might be that you're grieving the Holy Spirit because you're not carrying out life in agreement with the design of God. So the commitment today for your pastor and for hope for you men is to learn how to love like Jesus. God, help me. Love like you. Help me understand what it means to be on the throne and to make myself a little lower than the angels so that I can accomplish the mission. Ladies, I just pray that you understand that God's desire for you is that you flourish. Is that you live in abundance and in fullness. And I'm praying for your man that they learn how to love like Jesus. I'm praying for you ladies that you not take submission as a negative, but you understand it is the image of the Godhead.
And it is the way back to health. It's God's redemptive plan to bring heaven to earth. So we're going to go take 80 men thereabouts to the mountains on Thursday. Ladies, you be praying for them. But I want you to pray for yourself. Because it takes two. If one doesn't do it, it just doesn't work. You've got to have this. You've got to have the spirit that you're trying to bring the kingdom into your marriage, into your house, into your family. Let's pray for each other. Why don't we stand? Thanks for listening to the Eastside Church Podcast. If you have any questions or need more information, visit our website, eastsidechurch.co.